1: You don't want it, you don't need it, but you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here with me. Subscribe. It doesn't cost you anything. Helps us. Rate us, review us, all that fun stuff. Uh, The show today brought to you by MyBookie. You can go to MyBookie.ag and have your first deposit matched halfway up to a thousand dollars that's mybookie.ag my promo code DC. you've got to use my promo code to get the deposit matched halfway up to a thousand dollars you can bet on anything there one of the things i have noticed at my bookie here recently is there are no odds on green bay the packers are pretty much off the board right now for over unders for nfc north odds um and that would sort of indicate that uh, you know, a lot of the a lot of the sports books um worldwide uh think that there's a chance that, you know, Green Bay is going to ultimately deal Aaron Rodgers. Um the reports are he will not show up for uh, minicamp today. Guess who did show up for minicamp, Tommy? In Ashburn. Chase Young showed up. Yeah. The captain. the captain showed up at Minicamp today, right? Yes. Ron Rivera said It was good to have Chase back out there. Um, He reiterated that OTAs are voluntary, and he knows Chase Young had a full plate. Um, And he said, quote, that's ball, closed quote. Um, And there was one other thing he said about Chase Young. Um, Oh, uh, Chase Young said that he had been communicating with Rivera and Del Rio throughout OTAs and that he was in and out of the building um, more importantly, Young said, "I'm ready to rock." And you know, when he uh, before today, he said that he was suited and booted and ready to roll.
2: I saw that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I saw that. It's good news. It's how minicamp. long before he? How long before he's totally insufferable?
1: I don't know. I don't want to go there. He's on the way. Huh?
2: He's on the way.
1: Oh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. He's
2: on that path.
1: Um, and you know what? what? All
2: those dummies who showed up for for OTAs, I guess they didn't have a full plate. Well, they must have had crumbs on their plate.
1: Um, well, I mean, what they had on their plate wasn't nearly as consequential as what he had on his plate. I mean, no. that's why they were there and he wasn't. He had a full plate of important things, and their things were not nearly as important. He is a captain. And the captain sometimes has additional responsibilities. So there.
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: Oh, this is going to be good for you. You're going to have. If he doesn't play well this year, oh boy, oh Tommy's <laughs> going to be pounding some columns out. I can sense yeah, but that he's
2: going to put, he, he'll, again. The the OTAs have no impact on his. But Trent right. Williams didn't show up for never showed up for OTAs. And but he he was a great player who. Who they had issues with a, a number of times, I might want to point out, but he was still a great player. This isn't going to affect his play, but that's not the point. But there's not many intelligent people that can seem to understand that.
1: Um, it's not the point. And, uh, and intelligent people who understand leadership and captaincy and what's expected out of a leader – They sort of get it. At the same time, this is not going to uh, determine whether or not he has a great year or not. In fact, he says that he was dealing with a hip injury prior to his rookie year. And that you know the focus has been to be fully healthy going into this year. So if he's fully healthy in year two, understanding the system, having a year under his belt, hopefully he will take a a big step forward. He was already exceptional, as we know, as a rookie. Um, Somebody um, this morning on the on the radio show, you know, I was talking a little bit about Chase Young and Taylor Heineke, and somebody said man, you've really gotten after um, Chase Young. And I said, no, I haven't. I-, I haven't at all. But I just want to remind everybody. And I went back and I found my notes, Tommy, from the playoff game, what I said after the playoff game against the Patri- uh, against the Buccaneers. Sometimes I have to remind myself exactly what I yeah. thought um, after a game that was several months back. And the bottom line was the defense proved that it wasn't an elite defense that day. It was, it's a good defense that had a terrible day. Um, an elite defense doesn't get run over to the tune of 500-plus yards. But specifically about Chase Young, if you recall, he had called out Brady you know, before that game. He said he wanted Brady. And I wrote, and here were my notes, you got to walk the walk if you're going to talk the talk. He had a great year. He's a great player, but he gave Brady more incentive. Brady feeds off that, as we know. Um, And, you know, if you're going to go ahead and do it anyway, then you better back it up. And he did not. He had his worst game of the year in the biggest game of the year. And there's no way to sugarcoat that.
2: Well, he had this hip injury. He was Well,
1: they know he said at the beginning of last year. He was healthy at the end of last year.
2: Probably bothered him all year, you know?
1: Yeah. Look... I, I am I'm going to reiterate my position on this, and then that's it. We'll move on to the next topic. Um, Chase Young is going to be a great player. Nothing about missing OTAs is going to affect that. With that said, I guarantee you that the people in charge out there, the coaching staff, they would have preferred that the captain – be at OTAs rather than be the only player on the entire roster that didn't show up for any of them. I guarantee you that Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio were saying, did you talk to him today? Yeah, he talked. he's working out and the whole thing. Why isn't he here? Uh, you know, he's yeah. working out on his own. They would have preferred that he at least as a captain would have shown up for a day or two. If you don't get that, well, I can't help you, but will it impact his performance next year? I don't think so at all. Um, but as Doc said, you know, you never, you know, you never, as a as a leader, never give them an opportunity to question uh, your commitment. Um, and he did that to a certain degree. But I'm all behind Chase Young. I think he's going to have a great year. I think he's a phenomenal, phenomenal
2: player. I think I think he's going to have a great year too. Yeah. Um, I think the defense is going to be better. And as a result, his supporting cast will be better and he'll be better. Right.
1: Uh, a couple of quick notes from mini camp, mandatory mini camp day. Number one, John Bostic was missing. Apparently he's a bit injured. Um, Sadiq Charles got reps at left tackle. Cornelius Lucas and Leno were the starting tackles. If you're curious, Sam Cosme was the backup right tackle. Um, and John Allen was back after missing, I think, an OTA day or two last week. I forget exactly how many he missed. Uh, Curtis Samuel um, was banged up a little bit um, and didn't participate uh, in the minicamp day. Look, I, I went back, and I'm not going to bore you with it, but minicamps, uh, they're, they're really, in the, in the overall scheme of things, they're, they're trivial, Um, They're insignificant, and they are mandatory, and they get work in, and they didn't get that work in last year, if you recall. Um, So I went back and looked at, like, 2019. Oh, my God. I mean, uh, Dwayne looked great at minicamp. Haskins really looked the part big. Oh, my God, he can make every throw. You can go back through minicamp and training camp year after year. I think, Tommy, from my standpoint, I don't know if you feel the same way, I think you learn something by just listening to these coaches talk. And sometimes, you know, especially when you get to know them and know what they say and what they don't say, and you can sort of start to read between the lines a little bit. Like last year, I remember very early on, Jack Del Rio, who doesn't say much about anybody, um, was really, you know, very complimentary of Cameron Curl. He was also very complimentary of Ke- Kevin Pierre Lewis, KPL. Nobody knew who KPL was when they signed him. Most people didn't. And those were the two names that you know, you heard Del Rio and Rivera talking about before, you know, the season started as early as you know uh, the first portion of training camp and even in the off season a little bit, even though they didn't get a chance to see a lot of these guys in the off season. And you know, I think you learn more that way. Um, And I had Sam Fortier from the Post on the show, and he said he's heard them talking, Del Rio and some of the defensive coaches, about Derek Forrest. Derek Forrest was a fifth-round safety out of the University of Cincinnati, thought to be maybe a guy who could make the team as a special teamer. But he has been hearing very good things about what they think about him and how quickly he's picked up everything. And I do remember when they drafted him, One of the things that somebody said, I think it was Martin Mayhew, is that he played on a very good defensive team, which he did at the University of Cincinnati last year for a very good coaching staff led by Luke Fickle. And that is true also. So just, you know, an early name maybe to keep an eye on. That was from Sam Fortier on the radio show. I can tell you that they like Sam Cosme and they like Deami Brown a lot. And I think they have high hopes for John Bates and Shaka Tony as well. But we'll see. Um... It's a minicamp. That's 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 the update on Minicamp. Do you have anything to add, or do you want to talk potato chips because that's what you were talking about before we started to record today?
2: Well, no, I don't have anything to add. It's very observant of you to pay attention uh to and, and pick up the idea that you can read something into what these coaches say in these useless press conferences that should be eliminated. You know, uh, basically, because they're of no value.
1: Well, I just gave you an example. Anyone. I just gave you an example of what was valuable I know. last That's year. That's what I
2: mean. I, I thought I, th- I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's very observant. I'm trying to give you a compliment. Yes. Oh,
1: I thought you were being sarcastic.
2: No, okay. no, 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 no. You said you, no, you I
1: referred you... to them as useless press conferences.
2: No, I was referring to what the critics say about these kinds of things as useless. You know, they they considered them useless.
1: Okay. Um,
2: uh, no, I think you're right. I mean, OTAs, uh, their value are, you know, I mean, you're reading tea leaves and what the coaches think. Uh, and you know, I mean, the fact that they didn't have these last year and you do have a new quarterback who's probably going to be your starting quarterback. They do have some value.
1: Yeah. Uh, definitely of course you know offensively yeah. we always hear about you know the, the getting in sync passing passing game is always huge this time of year it's one of the reasons the really good teams in preseason games we didn't have them last year in preseason games you will see some of these really good offensive football teams throw the ball pretty much exclusively like I there have been some preseason games in recent years where Russell Wilson has had like 20 25 pass attempts in a half, half, or Aaron Rodgers, you know, 18 and a, you know, 16 and a quarter. They're not even trying to run the football. They don't care about running the football. They want quarterback and pass catchers to get into a rhythm in, you know, sort of live action. Um, we haven't seen necessarily that here, but we also know what the results have been here. You know, um, somebody pointed out to me uh, last night that these mini camps, you um, with Jay Gruden, that there were three or four years in a row, or maybe it was three years out of four, where he just canceled the last day of minicamp. (laughs) And he said, ah, that's enough. I gave him the last day off. And I'm sure it was because Jay had a really good golf offer um, somewhere. Uh, I don't think that Ron Rivera will do that. Now, Ron Rivera gave them the three OTA days off, and and they moved minicamp up to this week. But Let me get to something that um, I want your opinion on, and I'll share mine after I get yours on. You, I think, believed that when they signed Ryan Fitzpatrick that it was not a foregone conclusion that he would be the starter. Do I have that right or not?
2: Yeah, but now I am leaning more towards him beating the starter at the start of the season, only because – I think the quarterback that Ron Rivera wants to play, Kyle Allen, it can't be counted on yet because he's not recovered.
1: That's why you think Fitzpatrick's going to start because Kyle Allen isn't healthy enough to go? Yeah. Really? Okay. So, yeah. um, you know, a lot of people believe that, you know, as we know, that Taylor Heineke should be given the opportunity. By the way, when I went back to look at my notes about Chase Young, I did say. You got to bring Taylor Heineke back. You know, I don't know if he's the guy or isn't, but you got to sign him and have him in the ro- in the mix. If you don't trade for Matt Stafford, by the way, that was my first thought when the season ended last year. I think I had that thought before. Was they got to make a run at Matt Stafford? Anyway, um, the the reason I bring it up is Ken Zampese, the quarterbacks coach. A lot of the assistant coaches yesterday weighed in on a lot of their players. Um, And Ken Zampezi was very complimentary of Taylor Heineke. The biggest concern they have is Taylor Heineke's health. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. Apparently, he's put on fifteen pounds of muscle. Um, he loves everything about Heineke. He loves the, that he pushes the ball downfield. That he's a real gamer. That he's a leader. That he's the he's got great work ethic. Prepares all you know all of that, but that you know health is the concern. So I'm curious as to whether or not you think. And you think Kyle Allen, the answer would be definite yes to to Kyle Allen. Do you think that Ron Rivera and then the offensive coaches, Scott Turner, Ken Zampezi, et cetera, have any intention of having a legitimate quarterback competition this summer? Legitimate. Like they're sitting around and they have been all offseason after signing Ryan Fitzpatrick, and they are in the mode of let the best man win. Do you think that's their mindset? or that it's already a given that Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to be the starter.
2: Well, again, with the with the Kyle Allen injury asterisk, no, I don't think it, there is going to be a competition. Uh, Kyle
1: Allen's I, supposed I to be ready for training camp.
2: I know, I know, but he he's already behind the other quarterbacks cuz he he's not he can he can he's limited in what he can do. So, by any measure, he's already behind the other two guys okay, if, if there is any kind of competition. So he has to play catch-up. And unless it's a situation where, uh, you know, Taylor Heineke is, is so good that, you know, the, the locker room dictates who the starting quarterback should be. No, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick will be your starter, uh, but I think he, he'll be have a quick hook all the time.
1: You do. You think he'll have a quick yeah. hook. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think you're. If you really think Kyle Allen healthy, there'd be a competition this summer. I think if he's going to be ready for training camp, you should still think that. But I'm not going to tell you um, how to answer the question. You've already answered it your own way. I would. I would say that the conversations after they sign Ryan Fitzpatrick um, among the brain trust of the coaches is who's number two going to be. There's no. I know. I know.
2: You've thought thought that all along.
1: There's no legitimate quarterback competition if everybody's healthy. Ryan Fitzpatrick got paid. He's the one that's here. He's the one that's going to give them the same thing they had out of Alex with respect to leadership and experience, but a lot more physically. And I just don't think that there's a legitimate quarterback competition this summer. What would be interesting is if somebody, one of the two plays exceptionally well. And it's obvious to everybody that there's not much of a difference between Fitzpatrick and let's say Kyle Allen. Let's just say he's healthy for training camp and he has a great camp and he goes out and he lights it up in the preseason games and Fitzpatrick's throwing picks all over the park. I wonder if that would maybe close the gap so that Fitzpatrick would have a quick hook, which you believe he could, and I don't believe he will have going into this season. I don't think Fitzpatrick's going to have a quick hook unless it's really, really bad, which it hasn't been. They don't owe
2: him anything. Um, They They have no allegiance to Ryan Fitzpatrick.
1: Yeah, but they signed him because they think he gives them the chance to repeat what they did last year, which is have a good I know, enough that's, season. That's a,
2: year, that's a year by year thing, so they have no illusions. Yeah, year to by him. year, and 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 uh, I, I think that you know I I still can't get over the fact that the one guy that that Rivera traded for was Kyle Allen. I still think he must think that that's his guy moving forward. He's the guy who who started for Cam down in in Carolina. Uh, so I, I mean I I just think that you know Ryan I think this coach Ryan Fitzpatrick has a three interception half. He's done. Um,
1: they uh on Kyle Allen I I agree with you I think that they traded for him a year ago. Um, because they really liked him, and we know that at the end of the year, Ron Rivera essentially said we would have had the same results with Kyle Allen that we did with Alex Smith. He didn't think that there was any different, that they would have been in the same position to win the division and play a playoff game with Kyle Allen. We know that. Um, so I do believe that they really like him. I agree with you on that. I just don't think that Kyle Allen is has any chance – of starting a game this year if Ryan Fitzpatrick's healthy unless Ryan Fitzpatrick totally, totally craps the bed in a major way to the point where he's the reason they're losing games. They went out and tried to get Matt Stafford because they don't believe that either Kyle Allen or Taylor Heineke is the long-term answer. They went out and got Ryan Fitzpatrick because they didn't get Stafford because they don't have a long-term solution on their team, but they wanted to compete next year and maybe the year after, and they feel like in their division with their rising defense and some of the weapons they added in free agency, um, who, by the way, Curtis Samuel did, dealing with a groin issue, which is why he was out today, um, they can win the division again. You know, 9-8, and 10-7, you know, somewhere around there, but that they can, you know, continue to make progress with a, uh, an even better defense this year, better offensive weapons, and they don't fall off, and they don't end up with four quarterbacks playing. I think one of the things they'd like to steer clear of is having multiple quarterbacks take snaps this year.
2: Because that's Look, I wouldn't I wouldn't put the Matt Stafford uh quest and the Ryan Fitzpatrick signing in the same
1: sentence. I I, I don't okay, they're, they're,
2: they're two different things. I and th- I don't think I think I think my guess is that Rivera I don't know if he cares about this stuff or not, but I I would think that within the building and within the organization and above him, I would think it would have been difficult for Ron Rivera to say, We're gonna defend the NFC East Championship next year with just Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke, he couldn't do that. He had to have another quarterback. Yeah, doesn't but... mean it'll be the quarterback who's who's competing this year, who's leading them this year. But he had to have another quarterback. You couldn't you couldn't go into the season with those two guys, especially you know, with. With you know with Kyle Allen hurt, you couldn't do that.
1: Yeah, but you could have made another move that would have made a quarterback a quarterback competition more obvious. You know, you could have signed Mitch Trubisky for two million bucks instead of Ryan Fitzpatrick for ten million. You know, you could have signed um, Jacoby Brissett or Andy Dalton. I'm trying to think of the other players: Tyrod Taylor, who signed like a five million dollar deal. You could have gone after Teddy Bridgewater. You know, you could have signed somebody for a lot less than what they paid and a lot younger than what they paid for Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think the Fitzpatrick move was because they're like Fitzpatrick's the starter, he's the veteran, he's the leader, and we didn't get our long-term solution, but we got the guy that makes us competitive and makes us more dynamic offensively and his leadership and experience goes with this defense and we can win the division. I don't think they I think there are other guys that they would have signed that would have been much more obvious as okay, there's a legitimate quarterback competition. Fitzpatrick's not that guy. I do agree with you by the way that Fitzpatrick and Matt Stafford are not the same. Stafford was would have cost them tons of trade compensation, and his age would have made it that this is not only the quarterback for now, but the quarterback for the future. That would have been a no-brainer. But Fitzpatrick, I think, for this year is a no-brainer. And maybe next year. And maybe next year.
2: That's a lot lot of faith in a 39-year-old quarterback who has never even appeared in a playoff game. Like I said, you you start 156 games in this league – and you never play in a playoff game that 's almost that 's almost hard to do. I mean you have to try to do that
1: uh well, and you also the fact that he 's still in the league still keeps getting opportunities when he uh, is twenty seven games under five hundred as a starter and a legitimate journeyman tells you also that there are uh, there are people that just truly believe in him that he keeps getting these opportunities and the last 2 years we've said it many times were very uh, very much probably you know not probably they were the two best years of his years of his career and he got yanked as a starter for a movement the Tuatunga Vailoa movement they wanted started right away um, if not I think he would have been a playoff quarterback last year hey um I'm just curious because I like these conversations. You were eating a bag of potato chips before we started the podcast today. And you said, oh, I love these potato chips. What were the potato chips?
2: Oh, okay. I got a couple of things. A couple of things on my, besides my potato chip fetish here. Uh, you know, I was up in the Poconos a week ago. Yes, I know. And uh, I, I was at Rudy's. Uh, my favorite bar in East Strasburg, where they used to have these potato chips called Gibble's. They don't have many more, but they used to have these potato chips called Gibble's. And look, uh, Pennsylvania Dutch country is the heart of potato yes
1: chips. Yes, it is.
2: That's where the, the best potato chips come from. But Gibble's have sort of disappeared, but they're, apparently they're still made. They're in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. And I said to myself, well, I bet you I, bet you I can buy them if I go online. So I went online and I ordered fifty dollars worth of potato chips from from Gibbles. They came like like half a dozen huge bags uh, of potato chips. So I've been feasting on those, and they are so good. I highly recommend them to anybody. G I B B L E S, Gibbles. They are head and tails. Above anything you're going to buy in a store,
1: Chambersburg, PA, huh? Why Pennsylvania Dutch country? You're right. I mean, Utz, Wise. I mean, I remember Wise potato chips. Um, uh, You can Wise were the
2: worst, the absolutely worst.
1: Wise potato chips. Oh my god, I I loved I loved Wise uh, potato chips when I was a kid. But I do they even make them anymore? I don't know. I like Utz. I don't know. I I do like.
2: I grew up in Brooklyn. That's all I ate was wise until we moved to the Poconos, and then we're open to Pennsylvania Dutch chips.
1: I love, I like Utz chips. I think they're really good. I also like a chip that is always available in delis Zapp's potato chips are really, really good. I don't know where they're from. I'm looking it up right now. Um, and then. Well, w- let me mention. Go ahead. I was going to just mention that there used to be a potato chip that used to be delivered when I was a kid, Charles Chips. Have you ever heard of Charles I Chips? i
2: those. Yeah. Yeah, you and see they, the old cans of Charles exactly. Chips. Exactly. The uh, the big yellow and uh, black. markets candy. and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: And they, yeah. were, they were okay. I, I doubt they're made anymore. But they, they were delivered um, when I was a kid. Well, everything was delivered way back in the day. Um, but I like Uts. Yeah. I, I tend to eat Uts. But I'm going to give Gibbles a shot.
2: Yeah, they're they're really good. Now I mentioned Rudy's, and I've talked about Rudy's before, but this is still worth mentioning. Uh, I went up there, and I, whenever I go, I hadn't been there in, a, in over a year. So uh, I've been drinking in Rudy's for forty-five of my forty-six legal years of drinking. Okay,
1: Rudy's Tavern and, in East Stroudsburg. Uh,
2: in East Stroudsburg. And a bartender who's been serving me for 30 years was still there. Oh, my
1: God. Serving
2: me my drink. And there are bartenders who work there who have been there the entire 46 years uh, since I've been drinking there. I mean, nobody ever leaves. The bar never changes. They have a, they have a flame-broiled cooker, like for, uh, for cheeseburgers and hot dogs and supers that they've had for seventy years. That's, <laughs> it's, it's, that's it's, pretty
1: cool. I mean
2: at the bar the the the, the booths are the same, the bar stools are the same, the bar is the same, the same kind, it just never changes. It's in a different jukebox, a few different decorations, but the bartenders are the same, everything's the same. The people you're always gonna run into somebody you know at Rudy's. This is this is the bar where James Franklin drinks. Whenever he comes back to East Stroudsburg, because he played football at East Stroudsburg University, the Penn State coach.
1: A lot of yingling on, on tap. A,
2: yeah, a lot of yingling on tap. I don't think yingling anymore, but they used to have Genesee Ale on tap in the old days, which was the nectar of the gods.
1: Do you know, I just pulled up the website, Rudy's Tavern, East Stroudsburg. Yeah. Do you know what the first page of their website says? What? Helping Ugly People Have Sex Since 1933. (laughs) There you go. And then underneath that, (laughs) there's a green bar, Got Beer? I click it, and it goes right to the menu. Yeah.
2: Yeah, So so
1: that's why you like Rudy's Tavern. Yeah,
2: yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I mean, when I used to drink there, Uh uh, you know, uh, when I first started, you drank eight ounce beers for a quarter.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, well, so, right, now, uh, right now, look at this. Uh, they got an eight ounce Miller Lite draft for a buck. Are you kidding me? <laughs> 16 ounce draft Miller Lite, Yingling, and Pabst PBR for two
2: bucks. I know. I know. I mean, it's it's great. And if you're ever in the Poconos in East Strasbourg, stop at Rudy's.
1: I'll stop at Rudy's. I'll
2: see you like you. You'll be drinking. You know, they'll treat you like you've been drinking there for years.
1: What's the bartender's name?
2: Uh, John is the bartender's John. name. But there's there's other guys. Like I said, uh, you know, it's a big college bar. I mean, East Salzburg University is, is right down the road from there. But they're at it. They're very strict about carding. You know, Pennsylvania is twenty one. Yeah, sure, well, all states are twenty one. But years ago, each state, some states were different. And uh I remember sneaking in there when I was twenty years old and getting kicked out. You know, because I wasn't caught, and getting kicked out by a football because they hired most most football players were bartenders back then at at, at the time. So All right. but uh Rudy's I just wanted to give a shout out to Rudy's and a shout out again to the D C Grays who won our first game last oh, night nice. five to three. Oh no, that's awesome. Absolutely. And you know who was there? I don't. Neil in Rockville.
1: Neil in Rockville was there. He, Neil is he, Neil's loyal and a supporter, and he's always at events that anybody asks him to go to of, of the people that he enjoys. And you're one of them. Um, I'm glad they. And won you know wrestling. what? What?
2: He, and you know, you weren't there though.
1: I was not. That there, was. No.
2: That was. I noticed that you know your absence was noticeable.
1: No, it wasn't. No, and a noticed. lot of people
2: asked me. A lot of people asked me why doesn't Kevin come?
1: <laughs> I say,
2: oh, you know. He's he's busy watching NBA basketball.
1: Right. Well, you know I said, what? He's got. He's I, I, I had a, a lot, lot to do. I had a lot on my plate. I, <laughs> I had a lot on my plate. Uh, all right. When we come back,
2: Wait, uh, I'm not done. I'm not done yet. Oh,
1: go ahead. We can come up. back,
2: but I got I got one more thing related to the grades. Okay. A public service announcement. Uh, it looks like I'm I'm going to stage a benefit concert to raise money for the DC grades. I'm not going to be in the concert. I have a band I think that's going to play in the concert that's not hundred percent, but what I need is a venue. I need a place to put this show on uh and I need it quick, because we we're looking like for like early july who's the who, who's someone. the band well i don't, I don't want to say yet because it's not a hundred percent commitment okay okay, but if if, I, if I'm asking them, you know they're going to be good
1: okay. so but I, I need a
2: place to do this thing on a, like a Sunday afternoon. From like two to five.
1: What kind of crowd Something are you going like to be that. expecting?
2: Could be 100 to 200 people.
1: Uh, all right. You want it to be an outdoor venue?
2: No, it can be indoors. Indoors okay. is good. All right. You know, I was thinking, what about your house?
1: Um, well, Why not? Well, I mean, I'll start with this. It's not my house anymore. As of last night, it's not my house. We're in a rent-back situation before we move into our new house, probably at the end of July or early August. So, um, my house is. is well, you off move limits. that quick. No, it's not that quick. We've been. It's, okay. It's not that quick. All right. Um, three years ago today, uh, we were celebrating something. We will uh, discuss that when we come back right after this word from one of our sponsors.
3: That's join MIDI.com.
1: Three years ago, Tommy, on this date uh, in 2018, uh, this city was celebrating its first Stanley Cup title. Uh, the Caps beat Las Vegas in game five out in Vegas to win that series four games to one. And the town was excited about it. We had not had a title here in this city since 1991. Uh, so it, it had been a long time, 20, you know, the nine plus 18, 27 years uh, since a title had been won uh, in this town. And I, 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 I've said this before about the Caps winning the Stanley Cup because I'm not a big Caps fan at all. But I was really excited for Alex Ovechkin that night. The excitement and the relief and the weight off his shoulders was incredible. And then we saw over the next several days and several weeks how much he enjoyed it and how much they partied um, uh, that that title. But uh, uh, it's three years, and I know we've had this conversation before, but... Alex Ovechkin had that weight lifted off his shoulders, and he's a champion. You know, he's not the champion at the same level of Gretzky or Lemieux. Um, he'll He'll be considered one of the greatest players of all time. But we've now had three straight seasons of out in the first round, you know, going back to essentially what the trend was before they, you know, ran that straight, you know, flush. And, and, and got the, the, the title in 2018, which, by the way, they were very close to being out in round one and in the Eastern Conference Finals against Tampa. They were down two games to none against Columbus. It's a fine line in hockey. Montreal, who's got the fewest points of any team in the NHL playoffs, they're into the final four now having swept Winnipeg. Um, it, which just goes to show you, year in and year out, the worst team in the postseason in the postseason has a chance to make a run. But what do you remember about that, and what do you make of just the Alex Ovechkin legacy off of that? Um, if it doesn't, you know, if he doesn't make maybe another run.
2: Well, I remember the celebration. To me, was uh, you know the visual proof of a sort of a different a different kind of fan base uh, than we've seen before for sports in this town. I mean, we had known about it. It had been growing. Uh, but we, you know, like you said, we haven't had a championship since 1991. And, I mean, uh, wait, wait just imagine if, the, if Washington football Super Bowl run had come now during the social media era. Imagine the attention and the people who would show up for something like that for the football team now i mean that that i mean it was the first real physical evidence of how different uh fandom is because of social media i mean the, the whole downtown celebrations even when you know they clinched game 7 in, in in vegas was something that evolved you know from social media people reading people are going downtown i'm going downtown and so I mean, to me, the celebration was was the first real validated the first real evidence I saw of a different kind of fan base for sports in this town that 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 we we hadn't seen before in the past. As far as Alex Ovechkin, uh he needed the one, so they didn't you know always write about in the second paragraph of of stories about him, you know. Never having won a Stanley Cup. He needed that. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've maintained that the Capitals have, have squandered, you know, much of the Ovechkin era with poor coaching for the most part to go along with that talent. But, you know, the, the one Stanley Cup uh, relieves a lot of stress. And I think that's what you saw from Ovechkin. I think the celebration wasn't much of stress relief as anything.
1: I agree. Yeah, it was this, you know, the best player in the sport to never have not only not only won a title, forget that. He hadn't gotten past the second round in the postseason. Um, I, too, um, remember the days that followed and us being downtown, um, doing shows from down there for the parade. You know, one of the things... Like uh, over over the years, and it wasn't just social media necessarily, Tommy. It was just the change in the metro area to begin with. Nineteen ninety one, this true. this was right. This was an area of like three million people, where it's closer to six. I mean, literally, you've got two to two and a half million more people that live in the metro area. You know, in twenty eighteen, when they won the title, and now versus nineteen ninety one, and what really changed is we went from being. A federal government you know metro area to so much more you know the the tech corridor in Northern Virginia the biotech corridor in Montgomery county um, it just became a far different city in so many ways and in my opinion a much better city it's also become a younger city in recent years um, so yes. I think a lot of that has to do with what we saw in 2018 you know the the build up to that you know the scene down in Chinatown outside the arena when they were playing road games, you know, at Tampa in particular in those in that Eastern Conference Finals series, you know, was very much what you've said in in sort of um a in, in an overly critical way about the soccer crowd. You know, it's it's a young crowd that wants to be a part of something. They, you know, I bet a lot of people in that crowd couldn't have named more than Holt being Ovechkin on the team, but still. You know, for a lot of these people, their first winning sports experience ended up being with the hockey team. Now, so, you know, that will have an impression for, for years to come, something that I could have never said. I didn't have a hockey team um you know at that point i had it when i was in it was here when i was in my when i was a, a kid but they weren't even in the playoffs until i was a teenager um and at that point my sports loyalties had already been formed for a younger generation i think there's a chance hockey could be could be uh, much more important i do however and have said this even after after the nats parade if the football team ever won, you know won a super bowl i mean it would be it'd be nuts and it would be nuts in almost any city because
2: very few cities. Oh, look, how it wasn't, look how it was in Philly a couple of years ago when the Eagles won. Look how out of out of control and, and crazy it was there. But the but the I mean, love... all my relatives yeah. All my relatives live in Philly and some of them were downtown celebrating and they could care less about the Eagles.
1: Right. Yeah, the NFL the NFL is king and so you know, I don't know if this football team will ever do it. Um, and I think if the basketball team, and they're a long ways away from it, uh, I think it would be big too, but whatever. Um, that was three years ago. And I opened the show yesterday, 43 years ago. Um, you know, the Bullets won the title in 1978. The, the, the two titles for, you know, uh, the, the basketball and hockey team were all won on the same night, June 7th, one in 1978, one in 2018. Anyway, um, that's what happened then Uh, a couple of other things that I want to get to before I I want to finish up with a topic that you're probably not expecting me to discuss but I'm going to discuss it anyway and, and get your thoughts on it but um the uh last night um in the NBA playoffs see we've gotten halfway through the show haven't even done the NBA yet so for those of you that don't love it um there's your gift for the day the Bucks Nets game last night was really an odd circumstance. James Harden was out. The Nets were up one nothing in the series, and the point spread, Tommy, in the game last night um, moved as significantly as any playoff game has moved yet um, this uh, this playoff season. Uh, it went from Milwaukee being a three to three and a half point underdog uh, to the Nets to being a one and a half point favorite when the game tipped last night in Brooklyn. In game two, um, the Nets won game one pretty easily as well, but James Harden got hurt early in that game, and then he was out last night. But they still had Durant and they had um, Kyrie Irving. The Nets won the game by 39 points. Uh, I think their biggest lead was 45 points during the course of that game. I actually turned it off when it was over, but I think they had... An outrageous lead at some point um, in the third quarter. At one point, and uh, I, I'm just I, I will uh, I will mention this because um, it's it's true. Bro, Kevin Durant is so much better than Giannis Atentikampo. Um, so is Kyrie Irving. The, a lot of people liked the Bucks in this series for some reason. I mean, a lot of people thought the Bucks had a really good chance to to win this series. And I didn't. And I had good friends of mine who said, uh, I like the Bucks. I think defensively they can stop Brooklyn. And by the way, I don't like the way Brooklyn plays. They play too much iso ball for me, et cetera. But to me, I just don't believe in Giannis. I don't believe in the Greek freak when the game slows down. He has not done it in the postseason yet in his career. Has not done it yet in the postseason in his career. He's had rough series you know, in in these playoff series. And last night, he was brutally awful. And it's just amazing about players in the NBA. You don't know anything until you watch them in a playoff game. When teams are interested in defending, they're planning on you defensively. They're not in the back half of a back to back or the third game of a or the fourth game of a road swing. The game slows down. You can't play fast break up tempo basketball the whole game. And a tenacumpo in many ways just reminds me so much of Westbrook, not stylistically in terms of the kind of player they are, but what happens to them when the game slows down and they're forced to play half-court uh, basketball against a team that is set and ready for them. He's not very good when, when the game slows down, and, and Brooklyn's not even a good defensive team. But I would be very surprised if the Bucks get back into this series very surprised. The Nets emphatically last night announced in this series, uh, no. For those of you that thought M- Milwaukee had a chance, without James Harden, we can be up by 40-something in the game and win it, win it by 39 points. Kevin Durant's really good when the game slows down or when it's fast-paced. Same with Kyrie Irving. I can't stand the way they play, Tommy, but God, both of those players are good players. And, you know, as as sensitive as Durant is off the floor, the one thing you notice about Durant when he's playing a game, he's not LeBron James. He's not writhing and, you know, rolling around on the floor after he gets contact. He bounces right back up. He doesn't bitch and complain and whine. He just plays. And he is so good. He's impossible to guard. Uh, anyway, that's my NBA thing for the okay, day.
2: Okay, well, let me ask you this about the only part of it where I really might care about.
1: Atenecumpo.
2: Does, does Steve Kerr have anything to do with this?
1: Anything to do with what?
2: The Nets. Well,
1: Steve Kerr. Not Steve Kerr. Not Steve, not Steve Kerr. Steve Nash? Steve Nash. Oh, I'm Steve sorry. Steve Nash, does he have anything um, to do with this? Yeah, I... I, I I I think he does. I can't tell yet. They haven't had a real competitive game yet. You know, they took Boston out in in 5 and none of the games they won were close. Um and they, they they've beaten M- Milwaukee like a drum in the first two. You I I don't know. I put it this way, Tommy, they're one of those teams like the Wizards and and several other teams that you look at their iso possessions you know they lead the league they're top three in the league in iso ball iso possessions you know Kyrie Irving being the only guy to ever touch the ball on a possession same thing with Harden or the same thing with Durant I will say this I think that they are a little bit less reliant on iso ball without Harden in the game Harden is the king of iso You know, the ball never is, you know, Durant and Kyrie Irving, the ball moves a little bit more, and they've got a couple of nice pieces. You know who's playing really well for them? Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin looks like a totally, um, you know, inspired player again. He is on the floor every loose ball. He's rebounding. He's scoring. He had a really good game in game one, and last night he had a decent game. Uh, Joe Harris, the guy from UVA who's been in the league now for six or seven years at least, he's a great shooter and a really good supporting piece. Um, How much does Steve Nash have to do with it? I can't tell yet. I I just think they have – I think they've got the best talent, period. They have the best talent of any team in the league. And regardless of the way they play and regardless of whether or not they're a really good defensive team or not – Um, they're impossible to guard. And the thing about Milwaukee, which I think is the more interesting thing that's coming out of this series, um, is I don't think Giannis is a guy that's going to get over the hump as a winner. I think there's a lot of Westbrook in him. Again, not in the same way. They don't play the same way. But when the game slows down, they are lost. Lost. They don't have good feel for the game. They are very they try to force things. They lose confidence when they can't play up tempo and you can see it in the way he plays. He misses free throws because he's nervous. Um, you saw it 2 years ago when Kawhi and Toronto came from two down and a Campo had no idea what to do and he is not grown from that experience. We have not seen it. I'd be very very surprised if all of a sudden he turned it around and they ended up having a really good uh playoff series. They got beat by Miami last year um in uh in the postseason um and um right it was Miami last year in the uh, in the bubble. Uh anyway, um whatever uh, I, I, I feel for him because I love watching him play, and I think he's a unique talent, but the playoffs are a completely different thing, man. They are completely different. You don't know about teams or players until you watch them in a postseason situation. That's the bottom line. I
2: agree with that. Yeah.
1: and uh, Absolutely. Like, like I said yesterday, I mean, the Hawks beat the 76ers with Embiid. The Wizards... Couldn't beat the 76ers without Embiid, and they got blown out. The Wizards are nowhere near, nowhere near contending for, you know, a, a team that could do something in the postseason with the group they have. I am excited. I'll just say this. Um, I am excited about tonight in watching Kawhi Leonard um, go up against Utah. I think this is their toughest Western Conference matchup. I think if they get by Utah, they'll be in the NBA Finals. And by the way, just as an aside, I was having this conversation actually with my son um, last night. Like, what does the NBA want? Um, They probably want recognizable names. um, And the recognizable names for them also are in the two biggest markets. So if they get Brooklyn with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and maybe James Harden against the Clippers with Kawhi Leonard... They've got familiarity with players in the finals. We've seen these players in the finals recently and and you get their you get the two biggest markets. Imagine if you get Atlanta and Utah in the NBA finals.
3: Yeah.
2: That that would be certainly be worse. I don't think the Clippers and the Nets are 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 gonna get any kind of number to you know to but, but there, it, it would be better than Utah and Atlanta, obviously.
1: The numbers, the playoff ratings are actually surprisingly much higher than I think they anticipated so far. And I've said I'm enjoying it. I think the games are are great. The intensity of these games are it's awesome. Seeing some of these games in venues where they've got full houses or close to full houses, like we saw, you know, with the Garden. By the way, um, before the Knicks got eliminated, Um, Dallas had 18,000 for Game Seven, and you know, uh, the other night um, uh, for Game Six, the other night uh, when Kawhi had 45 in that game. Um, but you know, the bottom line is like, I haven't read the story yet. Somebody did send it to me and I'm going to get to it. You know, during the LeBron era, the NBA ratings have just continued to go down, down and down. You know, there's been this narrative about LeBron being the biggest draw or one of the biggest draws in sports. And he probably is. Um, but he's been a drain on the NBA, too. LeBron has not been as well-received as previous NBA stars. You know, he is... But, uh, all, all, uh, I know. I, you're, you're right time, about all that, but time. all
2: sports ratings have, of have course. gone down.
1: But, but they, they have... Uh, look, if LeBron were in the finals, it would do better than it will do with any matchup you can come up with. Um, but LeBron's not been what some people think he's been, you know, I think as many people tune in to hope LeBron loses as they do LeBron wins, you know, whereas I think Jordan and magic and bird may have been different in the past, whatever. Uh, I have one more topic for you when we come back and it's Roger Federer and his withdrawal from the French open on Sunday. I don't know how many people have followed the story, but it's an interesting one. And we'll get to it right after this word from one of our sponsors. Uh let me just make a recommendation I've told people in the past to subscribe to The Athletic I think it's worth it. Dan Pompey, do you know him Tommy?
2: I don't know him personally, I know his work. Is he a Chicago writer? Uh yes. Um but anyway, is Dan Pompey, I think he is. Yeah, I don't, or he might be he might be in Arizona.
1: Okay, whatever. He wrote I'm not sure. He wrote a story about Jordan Reed's journey through his concussions. Jordan Reed has 10 known concussions and he went through every single one of them um jordan reed retired because he wants to have a life he's hoping to have a normal life after um after the uh the journey that he went through in the nfl um with all of the concussions it's a very good read uh, you've got to subscribe to the athletic um i've told you before it's worth it uh especially with ben i'm a subscriber yeah with ben um who does such a great job covering um the football team anyway um i wanted to Get that in, uh, since you uh, have already promoted about fifteen things today. Uh, you've promoted a bar, you've promoted a local baseball team, you've promoted, you know, yeah, but let me just point out none of the things
2: I promoted <laughs> none of the things I promoted put money in my pocket.
1: I know. Uh, I want you to do that whenever you can. So on Sunday, and I didn't see this story until um, yesterday afternoon. On Sunday, Roger Federer withdrew from the French Open prior to his fourth round match against a guy named Berrettini from Italy. He didn't withdraw from the French Open or withdraw from that match because he was injured. He withdrew because he used the French Open essentially as a tune-up for Wimbledon. And he was tuned up after three matches. And his statement was, you know, after discussions with my team, I've decided I will need to pull out of the French Open today. After two knee surgeries and over a year and a half of rehab, it's important that I listen to my body and make sure that I don't push myself too quickly on my road to recovery. I'm thrilled to have gotten three matches under my belt. There's no greater feeling than being back on the court see everybody soon. Well, everybody understands what this was about. This was about him getting ready for the tournament that he cares about the most which is Wimbledon, which starts at the end of this month. He was not a legitimate threat to win the French Open. In fact, he was seeded one seed higher than Berrettini. Federer was the eighth seed. And in his draw up next would have been Djokovic. And if he had somehow pulled that off, which he probably wouldn't have pulled that off on clay, he would have had Nadal in the semifinals. Now, there were... The thing that's interesting about this is there was very little criticism of this, you know, and I know it comes, a, we, several of you pointed out after I talked about this on radio, there was a lot of criticism of Naomi Osaka. Um, well, there was and there wasn't. There was a lot of support for her as well. But the situations are hardly apples to apples. Um, I, tennis is a sport where people sort of withdraw all the time. Uh, they'll cite, you know, an aggravation of an injury, and you know, sometimes it's at a smaller tournament. Rarely is it in a Grand Slam. Like in
2: D- like like the one in D.C. Yeah, You see it happen all the time.
1: Right. Um, the the Chris Everett, who is on the call, I think for ESPN and NBC or whomever it is that's I'm, I haven't watched one second of the French Open, which sort of supports my point last week that. Tennis is is really sort of a niche sport in this country. And, um, you know, when things like this happen, it doesn't help much. But anyway, Chris Everett said that Roger Federer has earned the right to do whatever he wants. He's paid his dues. He's 39 years old. His goal is Wimbledon on grass, his dream tournament where the rallies are shorter and it favors mobility and power. I'm 100% behind him and it shouldn't be a knock to the tournament. He wants to be best prepared for Wimbledon. Um... A lot of people were very supportive of Roger. A lot of people in the sport and even a lot of fans and a lot of media members saying he's earned the right. Roger Federer, the greatest player in the history of the game. Certainly you could argue that. I think it's ironic, by the way, um, that we have lived over the last 10 to 15 years through the greatest era of men's tennis. And it's become insignificant in the United States
2: like this yeah. this it, it's disappointing it's disappointing if you live through the Borg McEnroe Connors years
1: or even, even the Sampras
2: tennis it, buff yeah. how exciting that was or
1: even the Sampras Agassi years you know it was very popular right. in this country when Sampras retired with 14 majors people thought whoa well, Djokovic has 18, Nadal and Federer both have 20. Like there's no doubt what the greatest era in men's tennis is. It's this era. And not only have they done it, they've done it against a deeper field of more uh, of of better players. Anyway, um very supportive of Roger, overwhelmingly most of the people in the sport. Now, there were a couple of criticisms. Um Paul McNamee, who is the former Australian Open tournament director, and he's a former player, on Twitter wrote, you're not at a candy store, Roger, able to pick and choose which matches you play. Your actions affect others and the tournament. And Patrick McEnroe told the New York Times, I understand it, but I don't like it. It's just not a great look to pull out of a tournament in the middle of it. It's one thing if you sprain an ankle badly and finish a match on adrenaline; those things happen. But it's another thing when you kind of go into a tournament knowing that you probably aren't going to be able to finish the tournament and don't have a desire to finish the tournament. Close quote. I'm totally. Well, the
2: one guy. Go ahead. Go ahead. The one guy runs runs a, a tournament that you know that is even lower on the on the scale than the French Open, so he fears. Something like this obviously happened to him with with the Australian Open. Uh, and, uh, look, I mean, there's a couple of things I think at work here. One, the main thing is Roger Federer has been a good guy, as far as we know, for his entire career. And that buys you goodwill.
1: I it buys you goodwill. I understand that.
2: You know? The other thing is, if you were to French Open would you have rather not have Roger Federer play at all as opposed to sign up and play and then drop out? What would you rather have?
1: Uh, I would have rather him not play at all.
2: Not me. I would have rather had Roger Federer get people in the seats, buy tickets, and then, okay, well, I'm done now. Okay. That'd be fine. with. From that if I was the French Open, I'd rather have that.
1: From that standpoint, that's true. Um, but... I think it's incredibly disrespectful. Uh, This is a major Grand Slam. These are, you know...
2: Oh, it's not a major Grand Slam. Nobody gives a shit about the French Open. There's two tournaments, Wimbledon and the U.S. Open.
1: No, 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 no. Not true for for the sport.
2: This is like the PGA Championship.
1: No, 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 no. No, no, no. The Australian Open is the PGA Championship. Okay, this is this is one of the three biggies, and it's the one contested on the, the famous hallowed grounds of Roland Garros oh. and its red clay. Um, and so, so don't oh, don't don't tell me about where the the French Open, in terms of its ranking, yes, would probably be third. It's not fourth among the majors. Um, it would probably no, be third, but, but, but for but for a lot of people, but no, anyone
2: pay attention to?
1: Uh, no, Americans. There are only two uh, majors that Americans pay attention to Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. I will agree with that. It is incredibly dis- disrespectful. Um, it is, it, it is. Um, It's a hit to the integrity uh, of the competition itself and the sport, and I know it happens all the time, Um, but usually when it happens, there's some sort of like injury excuse. I almost wish he had lied and said, I aggravated an injury, uh, and I hate to do this, but I have to pull out. Um, I can't play against Berrettini. To admit, and he's being honest, to admit essentially that he's pulling out because he used a grand slam uh, and a very important tournament to the sport as a tune-up, i think is a slap in the face to the tournament, a slap in the face to the sport, and more importantly, a slap in the face to the overall offering to the fans for this thing. What if you were you one say, of the people that bought you... what if you were one of the people that bought those tickets for the expected quarterfinal matchup between Federer and Djokovic?
2: Yeah, i'd be pissed. Okay, good. Okay. On the other hand, I think Roger Federer has just stuck a pin in your balloon about the French Open by telling you how important it is to him.
1: Well Nadal wouldn't do it to the French Open. The French Open's the most important to to Rafael Nadal. So it's just you know Because it's on his favorite service, Surface Clay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I don't see your point.
2: My point is, There's if a it wasn't as important that, as you make it out to be, well, Roger Federer wouldn't have dropped out.
1: No, no, no. It's not as important to Roger Federer as Wimbledon is, but it is to Rafael it's not Nadal. As important, it, it, was, it was to uh It was to Mats Velander, it was to many of the, the uh, Guillermo Vilas, a lot of the guys that were dominant on Clay. Preferred this. Jim Courier won this. Michael Chang won this. This the Americans. The the this was a tournament that was super important to them, super important.
2: I it, get that, but in the in the scope of things, it's an afterthought. It's
1: not an afterthought, Tommy. The PGA, when it was played in late August, and it's much more important now where it is on the calendar. Um, and now all four majors are super important. The PGA would be equivalent to the Australian golf. The French Open, um, and the French Open would probably be like equivalent to the British Open, and then uh, it would be the oh, U.S. Open so. and the Masters with Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. Okay. Now the now the British Open is you know actually more bigger. About
2: tennis. You know more about tennis than I do. A lot but, more. Uh,
1: yeah, a lot I more. think
2: Roger Federer told you how big the French Open is for
1: him. He did, but Rafael Nadal would have never done it. Nadal would. Oh, have, of course, yeah.
2: because that that. That that surface favors him. Yeah. So all, yes. all
1: he told all Roger uh, Federer told me was how important it was to him, not how important it is to the sport.
2: Oh, I think he told you both. No, he didn't. I don't think he. If it was more important than Wimbledon, he would not have dropped out. it
1: it it, it, it isn't as important as Wimbledon. Wimbledon is the tennis major, the number one tennis major.
2: It's not more important than the U.S. Open.
1: Yes, it is, and the sport. Oh, Wim- oh,
2: okay. We we can stop this right now, then.
1: You think you think the
2: U.S. Open? More important than the U.S. Open?
1: Of course it is, Tommy. And the sport of tennis. No, it is. Center Court Wimbledon is the most is is. No, I meant I meant I meant
2: the French Open.
1: Oh oh no no no! no. I'm sorry. I thought you said Wimbledon. Wimbledon's no, 1, the US Open's 2 and the French Open's 3. I said that. But it's not right. the PGA, it's not 4. It's not three. 4. I think it is. Uh, well, there is n- not n- maybe to Americans, yes, but not to the rest of the world. Not well, to the rest of the world. What
2: do you live in, Kevin?
1: I live in the US, huh? but I
2: have a more right, glo- I have Don't a more I,
1: I have like a it, more global I have a more global view than <laughs> you do.
2: <laughs> like um you got a mask somewhere. I'll tell got you got what I'll tell
1: I'll, I'll tell you what was much if you, where where did, is Bjorn Borg one of the greatest players in the history of the sport? Yeah, the answer is yes. If you, I mean it took you too long to get there, I guarantee you the French Open was more important to Bjorn Borg than the U.S. Open, which he never won. He hated New York, hated the U.S. Open. Uh, did he drop out? He did not drop out of the U.S. Open. There was no dropping out well, back then from majors. There no For the best players in the game, there aren't, you don't just drop out. You, you either don't show up or you get injured and you're forced to withdraw. You don't use it as a tune-up. It, it was not the right thing to do, and I love Roger Federer, and he does. He's built up a shitload of goodwill over the course of his career, which is why a lot of people aren't killing him, and in fact a lot of people in the sport are supporting him. You know what, Tommy? What if Serena Williams, who has not done great uh, on clay at the French Open and has done much better at Wimbledon, what if she had done this same thing? You think the reaction would have been the same?
2: Well, she hasn't built up the same kind of goodwill that Roger Frederick has. She's pissed off a lot of people in the, in, in in and out of tennis over, over her career. Mm-hmm. Okay. It counts. How you treat people counts.
1: She, of course it she, does. She's, as, she's just as much of an all-time legend as Roger Federer Of course she is. Yeah. Yes. All right. Are we done
2: for the day? You know, for, for, I think for the two people who are left, yes, I think we're done for the day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Have a great day. Back tomorrow.